Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm honored to be welcoming Mindset Coach and the founder of The Hour Champions, Steve Warner. For those who might have never heard of Steve or The Hour Champions, what you need to know is that it's a formula that Steve created. The Hour Champions is really the first hour of your day where a powerful combination of physical, mental, and spiritual conditioning is consolidated into one high-performing hour to help set the tone for each and every day. Steve's unique experiences and skills he's learned and developed along the way, as well as both the highs and lows in his journey, helped him create this effective formula that's helped thousands of people. Listeners, if you're interested in learning more about Steve or the Hour of Champions, check out the links located in this episode show notes. Steve, thank you so much for joining me tonight. For those listeners who might not know who you are, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you very much for having me. My name is Steve Warner. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and coach and um, a husband, father of three, grandfather of one, and um just a persistent pursuer of life. So Steve, I learned about you from your Facebook group, Hour of Champions, which I think we'll maybe end a little bit with um, because I think your journey to get there is really interesting. You went through some really like high highs and some low lows. Would you mind kind of walking us through um, kind of what life was like for you growing up a little and where you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, I refer to those high highs and low lows as setbacks. I've been, um, that, I, that's kind of the new phrase that is circling around above me consistently right now. And uh, so I grew up in uh, Skokie. I had a, an amazing childhood. Skokie was a great place to grow up. Uh, I had setbacks early on in life. My parents got divorced and I experienced um, what it was like to be uh, kind of um, disconnected from my family and uh, had to, at a young age, grow up very quickly and become responsible for myself and my sister. Uh, I did have the um, privilege of living with immigrant grandparents for a few years of my life, which really helped shape me and live with uh, my great aunt and uncle. And I got a, uh, a big taste of life from some really, really wise people early on. Wound up barely graduating high school. Um, I was not a great student by any means. And then I got in my car and I drove out to uh, Arizona. I wound up going to Arizona State University and that's that's where I grew up. That's where I took um, uh, control of myself and uh, took responsibility for my life. And after that, I came back, I became a commodity trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. And then that world ended due to technology and your world taking over my world. Um, and subsequent to that, I've been involved in an array of different businesses and that kind of, I had like smooth sailing for 19 years as a commodity trader. And then the last 20 years, there's been a lot of 
ups and downs, um, some by choice uh, and others. I think it was the, just the universe making life kind of even, saying to me, we gave you like really beautiful 19 years of uninterrupted success and we're just going to even it out and teach you that there's a lot of peaks and valleys in life. Um, and here I am today. So when we spoke before uh, the recording of this episode, you talked about how one of the setbacks was you got really reliant on prescription medication and um, really for anxiety and depression, but it started to become such where it became an addiction. It was hard to kind of manage life. And a lot of people who have had setbacks like that are not so open to talking about addiction, but you, that was one of the first things you talked to me about right off the bat. So I appreciated that. And uh, with your permission, you agreed that we could talk about it on this episode. Can you talk about what led to that moment? Sure. Um, Well, after my trading career, I wound up getting involved in a family business that I was a large investor in. I've told this story many times and the business was in big trouble. My brother and I kind of came in and had to push uh, some family members out and reorganize the business and save the day. And then in 2009, during the credit crisis, the business got crushed and I took it very personally. Uh, I let it affect my life. I um, uh, I had not really, I hadn't experienced losing ever like that before. And I became reliant on, um, several different, uh, antidepressants that you had spoke of. I, it was all under the care of a doctor. And, um, I lived that way for, from 2009 till 2015. I just lived medicated to tell you the truth that every single night I could not wait for the day to be over. I couldn't wait to take the medication. So it would kind of knock me out and, um, and, and go to sleep and not have to like face life and face the world. And it was a very sad and, and sick place to live because seemingly I had, I had everything. I had the beautiful wife, uh, the beautiful kids, the big house, the, ca- the cars. Um, I was still financially totally fine, but something inside of me. I, I think that I, I thought that I had a mind problem and I really had a soul problem. And I was letting medication work on my mind. And um, yeah, it just overtook me to the point where um, uh, I tried to explain this to my dad that, uh, you know, because who could never understand how I could be depressed because seemingly I had everything that depression is being sad when things are good, not when things are bad. And uh, so I lived that way. And I, and when we, when we spoke last week, I was like, I'm so proud to be able to share it because I didn't know that you can get addicted to drugs that were prescribed to you by a doctor. I never abused the prescription in any way, shape or form. And then the, um, the battle to get off of them is really where the hour of champions and the whole Steve Warner journey happens. So I think you make a really good point when you talk about depression, when your dad's like, what could he be depressed about? And one of the biggest stereotypes for mental illness is, well, what do you have to be sad or anxious about? You have the money, you have the family, all the stuff. 
but that doesn't lessen how you are feeling. If anything, it makes you almost retreat where you feel embarrassed to say, hey, I need help or hey, I'm not feeling happy or this is going on. Where when you really start to learn about mental health, you realize it's a chemical imbalance. So you can have all the money, you can have everything, but chemically there's something in your brain that either needs help or something's off. It's not like you're choosing to be depressed. And that's always been something I really wanted to be an advocate for because it's normal to go through periods of your life where you do have depression and you'll come out just because you're going through it doesn't mean you're going to have a label on your back the rest of your life. And I think people are afraid of that uh, label. Yeah. I'm, I, I've been a student of this for many, many years now. Like, like what was that all about? And I could tell you, you know, like, um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how sold I am on the whole chemical imbalance thing. Cause I, it's, it's immeasurable. Um, there's certainly some disconnect that goes on. Um, and the thing about depression is when it, when it, it's, when you're in its grips, you feel it and you oh, can't absolutely. describe it to anybody that thinks that it has something to do with the fact that you're financially secure or you're good looking or that you have a beautiful family and it has nothing to do with that. When you're, when you're in its grips and it's pulling you down like an anchor, um, it's, it's, it's frightening. It's, uh, and it's debilitating as can be. But um, I think what I learned was that again, there was some, it wasn't just a mind thing with me. It was a disconnect between my mind and my heart. And I was constantly working on my mind. And then when it was um, when it was brought up to me that there are um, well exercises and ways to live to exercise to fill your soul and get those two in sync, that gave me hope because the mind thing wasn't working. The only thing that was working was taking four drugs at night and just wanting to check out and not deal with, with life. And then almost w- waking up the next morning and going, oh my God, I have to go deal with the day again. This sucks. And that's a horrible way to live. It is. So I've never shared this openly with listeners, but I battled depression uh, last summer. I was in like a depressive state probably for about nine months um, with things going on outside of my control, like with work and just other things. Um, and I, under a doctor's care, went on medication because it was to the point where I would wake up every day just crying, like could not stop crying throughout the day. And it was hard to, as somebody who used to work out every morning and get all these things accomplished and read books and do all these things, I had no motivation. And it was hard for me, my ego to be like, well, what's wrong with you? Like snap out of it. You used to do this and that. And then you would almost feel worse that you couldn't accomplish those things or you had no motivation. And um, when you talk about your soul, what I ended up doing a lot last summer was I would go on walks because I didn't really feel like working out, but I knew I needed to move my body because that helps. Absolutely. Um, and I would listen to audiobooks and books on tape around um, healing or trauma or you know, self-help books in a way that would inspire me. And I would 
on my notes and my phone, like tap, write down different mantras or sayings and slowly like between medication therapy and just also other outside circumstances, I finally was able to kind of come out of that haze. But when you're in it, it's really hard to think things are going to change. It's, it's very hard when you're in it. And I don't think a lot of people talk enough about that. Yeah. Well, you were living the hour of champions philosophy when you decided to, um, take control, uh, you know, I was, I was very blessed in 2015, and I shared part of the story with you that I ha- had a reconnection with a young man who I had known since he was 12, and now he was in his late 30s. He was a doctor, and he, he put the challenge to me to get off all the meds, and he said to me, I'm going to guide you through this, and one of the mantras was, you have to do the work, the work, and the work was nourishing your mind, like on your walks, listening to podcasts or reading, nourishing your soul, getting out in the sunshine, walking, um, and uh, and just you know, like connecting with the universe and asking for strength, and then and then you know, nourishing my body through intense physical fitness and and really good quality food and nourishment. No more garbage, junk, and. That's how I turned it all around. So for our listeners, you've mentioned it a few times. What is the Hour of Champions? <laughs> so the Hour of Champions, the, 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 the name derived from this, um, this sequence that I did every single night in the middle of the night. When I made the commitment to get off all the medications, my doctor friend said to me, it was going to be the most miserable year of my life. And he warned me in advance. And we set the tone to... Um, incorporate intense fitness, mindset training, and, uh, and soul training. Um, and I would do it. I started going to the health club at three o'clock in the morning. And I would program in my phone before I would leave, I would go on YouTube, and I would find something on mindfulness that I wanted to listen to. And I would find something on spirituality, maybe a lecture or a podcast. And I would program it in my phone. And I would just, I would go work out like fiercely. And more often than not, I was the only person in the entire health club. And one morning I was walking out at like four in the morning and another fellow was walking in and he looked at me and he said, I have to stop you. Like I get here at four in the morning, you're leaving. Like what time do you get here? And I said, well, you know, sometimes two 30, mostly three. And he said, what are you doing? And I looked at him, I said, well, I'm actually saving my life. And I I gave him the Cliff Notes version of what I was doing. And he said, you do that all in an hour. It's like you're training for a championship fight. And I went in my car, it was still pitch black. And I flipped over a business card and I wrote the hour of champions. And I said, I'm going to need this. I'm going to save this. I have to remember what I just called this because I'm going to start a movement someday. Because if I'm going through this, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are feeling the same way. And they have to know that um, it's just, like I said at the onset here, it's just a setback and that there is a way out. There's a, there's a real way out like um, that doesn't incorporate like, you know, medication all the time. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm a, 
I'm a fan of medication uh, under, you know, for the for the right amount of time, but not for a lifetime. Um, and then I, about six months later, I contacted a really good friend of mine from college uh, that I used to work out with. And I said, you know, I'm going to start this group on Facebook and I'm going to start posting about my my routine, my workouts, my spirituality, my um, my mindset training, and I'm going to call it the Hour of Champions. Do you think that's egomaniacal? And he said, no, I think it's awesome. And I think you're the person that has to do it. So I started. I said, will you be my first member <laughs> to my friend Mark? And he said, sure. And we started a Facebook group. And it just kind of, people started kind of finding it one at a time. And it went from two people to 10 to 40 to 80 to 700 to 1,000 to 4,000 now. And, and um, I, there's there's times when I'm like in a restaurant or in a Home Depot and somebody will walk up to me and go, hey, you're that guy from Hour of Champions or I love Hour of Champions. So I know I'm, I'm on to something, you know, um, it's still a work in progress, but it's really a movement. It's a, it's a community um, uh, to guide people through setbacks and, and, and show them ways to get strong. What I really respect about you is that you um, decided not to be ashamed or concerned about like what people might think. You just were like, if I need this, then there's going to be other people that need it. And when you think about what holds people back, I think it's the, I think it's fear, but I also think it's the fear of judgment. I know when I launched this podcast, I was a little nervous about it. Cause I was like, people are going to look at me and think like, what does she have to talk about? Or oh, you know, she mispronounces words sometimes and she's recording herself. Like all these kind of fears and stories that you have told yourself beforehand, sometimes I think holds you back from actually moving forward. But once you realize it's not worth it, like the fear or the judgment is just nothing compared to, like you said, when people stop you, or I know people have reached out to me and said, like, I listened to this episode about grief. Like, thank you so much. You're like, oh, I am making the world a little bit better one person at a time. If that means by sharing my story or being that person that holds someone accountable to get up at 4am. Yeah. I, I have um, a large amount of sayings and some folks that have worked with me, we've coined them Wernerisms. And one of them is, is you are where you are, or you are where you tell yourself you are. And we're really good at telling ourselves that we're in places that we're really not. There's like like the fear of doing the podcast, right? We tell ourselves, I should probably be fearful because being fearful makes sense, you know, but maybe I'm not really fearful, so I'll go do it. Um, for me, sharing my story, uh, I, I if, if it would be it would be selfish of me to not share it, and that's the way I looked at it. And I, I think I told you this on our phone call. Also, one of the one of the earlier spiritual people that I stumbled upon was Marianne Williamson, the great uh, spiritual lecturer. And she has this phrase, and it it, it goes something like, um, "Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate; it's that we're powerful beyond belief." And it's like we don't know how to handle that. Like we know deep down how great we are. But we have this guilt about letting people 
about like sharing that with people because we think it's like arrogant or makes our ego seem big and it's not like if we if we play small um we can't radiate and if we don't radiate and shine people won't get attracted to us people don't get attracted to like self-deprecating people or put them people that put themselves down all the time or shameful they get attracted to people that have a little edge and a little rave arrogance like and Anthony Robbins, you know, Tony Robbins, he gets on stage, he believes in himself and people believe in him. And that's why he could lead people, you know, out of doldrums. And I learned from that. Like I, I used to bury my, my ego and go, you know, oh my God, who am I to be like, you know, hour of champions. And then I just said, screw it. It's what I love. I just love it. And I love the ring of it. And people love the ring of it. And I, can't, I have this little pendant that says Hour of Champions on it. I want everybody in the world to, to understand that they can crush their setbacks and wear one of these proudly and have their own hour. It doesn't have to be the same hour as mine. That, you know, I think that's a misnomer in my group is that you have to do it at five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. Do, do it anytime you want, just incorporate mindset, spirituality, and fitness into your life. And I promise you, there's a, there's a path to, um, you know, to overcome a lot. So talking about fear, why do you think that people allow it to hold them back? I know that people have these brilliant ideas or they want to move across the country or they want to quit their corporate job and go into a nonprofit and people make a lot of excuses but ultimately when you boil it down there's a fear aspect why do we let that get in the way from everything you've seen yeah i I, you know there's this crazy phenomenon called fear of success right we all believe fear is um is directly related to failure what if it you know what if it doesn't work from my personal experience and the people that I've worked with and taken through my journey, it's like, what if it does work? Then I actually have to go do it. What if what if what Steve says works? Then I do have to get up and I got to pound, you know, the fitness hard. I have to clean up my diet. I have to put time in to um, maybe journaling or understanding my journey. I have to, um, you know, understand how to connect with the universe and that's a big undertaking. So I think fear is often um, disguised as um, accountability, accountability and laziness. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yep. It really is. And if you, if you, like, I always when I do this diagram because I say you are where you are, or you are where you tell yourself you are. So. Um, I try to create crossroads, right? So somebody tells me they're fearful. And then we do some Q&A and we find out that they're really maybe lazy or have no accountability. And now all of a sudden they, they, were, they were living in this, I'm fearful. And when you're fearful, you become the victim of your story. And that's a really safe place to be because you don't have to do anything. You tell yourself you're not capable. You're you're, you're tired, you're scared, you're overwhelmed. And now all of a sudden we create this like other path 
that may be true. And you have to like put on the accountability hat now and say, am I willing to erase that fair side that maybe didn't even exist because some like fruitful path was put in my way. So it's, it's an interesting dilemma. It's interesting you say that because what comes to mind is um, I would say one of the good and bad traits I have is I get very laser focused, almost with blinders. So when I say I'm going to do something, it's that's all I got to do. Like nothing's going to stop me. It's going to be my number one focus, whether uh, in the past I signed up for a half Ironman. I didn't own a bike, hadn't swam competitively in years, and I do not like running. But for eight months, it was all I focused on, like ate, slept, breathed, talked about triathlons, and that was it. Um, it's a good trait to have. It's also good to learn balance in your life. But one thing that has always bothered me is when people will complain, like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? How do I handle this? Or I want a new job or I want this. And I go, great. This is where I'm really good at. Let's figure out goals. Let's figure out what next steps look like. Let's get you out of whatever's going on. Um, work with them, talk about it. Great. All right, go do whatever, you know, you see them a few months later, same thing, same conversation, nothing's changed. What would you tell those people who are not great at actually getting up that first morning for their hour champion or moving forward in the goals that they have set out? Because I think sometimes people need motivation, but how do you motivate others to move forward? Great question. I introduce them to the concept of urgency, right? Like the, there's nothing that gets you moving like urgency. And I was sharing this with a woman this afternoon who I've coached previously, this um, concept that I read uh, in a quote from Buddha, and it's, we think we have time and we don't have time. We have, we have like no time. In the grand scheme of things, we have we have no time. I mean, you know, I'm going to be 63 years old and I hear stories every single day of, unfortunately, you know, at my age of people losing their lives or time is running out. And I think that the, the, the only way to make change is to, is to get into enough pain or enough urgency to want, you know, to want to see the change. And um, I, you can't help people that don't want to help themselves. You know, um, and I think the, the best way to get started is to get on the road and chip away. You know, like if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, crawl, you know, like do something right. Like um, I put myself through a challenge in the month of February. I I'm a math guy. I said, oh, if I do 250 pushups a day, that's 7000 pushups for the month of February. It's 250 times 28 is 7,000. I didn't look at it as uh, 7,000. I looked at it as sets of 25 every single day until I got to 250, right? And I normally did that by seven o'clock in the morning. Just I got up, I got out of bed, brushed my teeth, did 25. Got my cup of coffee, did 25. By the time I went to the gym, I had already done 125. So by the time I got home from the gym, I had my 250 in. I took my calendar, I put my X on it. And at the end of the month, I had 7,000 push-ups. 
It's the same thing with people that tell you they don't have enough time to read a book, right? You always have 30 minutes before you go to sleep at night. And if you don't have 30 minutes, you have 10 minutes. Well, if you read five pages in the morning and five pages at night, that's 3,650 pages a year. That's 10 good books, right? So anybody that doesn't have five minutes in the morning to read and five minutes in the evening to read is not committed to reading. And that's, in my world, you need to read to nourish your brain because your brain is a muscle, just like your muscles on your body. And for me, I love reading. I read every night, um, a lot of books for podcast guests, but I also found Audible, which is a great resource. I don't think people use enough. Um, You can go on walks and listen while you're cleaning the house or while you're in the car, you're able to still get information. And I know at least for me, listening to the news or even some podcasts, it can be a little much given what we've been going through the last few years. Um, so listening to Audible or books like that have been such a amazing gift that you're able to utilize. The access to information is like instantaneous. What you used to have to go to the library and do research. Now, if you want to learn about like, you know, the, the art of doing a jigsaw puzzle, you can, you can YouTube it, you know, and in 30 minutes, know a lot more about something that you, than, than you ever did previously, you know, about anything. Same thing on a podcast. Like I'm, I love spirituality. I just do. I love the concept of it. I love the connection part. I love the messaging part that comes to me all day, every day. And, you know, people, people frequently ask me when, did I become so religious? And I say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And has anybody ever shared with you their thoughts on what the difference between religion and spirituality is? Well, I tell people that I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. So I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, so when people say to me, what's the difference? I say, well, I'm told religious people are trying to stay out of hell. Spiritual people have already been there. So congratulations, you're probably spiritual and you didn't even know it, you know? For me, I look at it as like religion was its first form of government. I don't really believe in a lot of the stories um, that come from religion. I think that the Ten Commandments are just how to be a good person. Don't steal, don't kill. I mean, it's basic info. But what I think, at least with spirituality, is I believe in physics. So every action has a reaction. That's the law of karma. Every action has a reaction. You know, energy, you can't kill energy, just morphs into something else. We as people are energy. When we die, the energy just morphs into something else. So for me, I've always been more spiritual. Religion, just with the history and all everything, every war has been fought over religion. So it's kind of hard for me to get on board it. As well as in recent years, I feel like people use religion as a way to control people. And if you really were religious and believed in the teaching, we would have a lot kinder of a world. So that's kind of my stance. I love the rituals of Judaism, but I'm certainly not religious. No, I love the cultural aspects of the religion. And I also think that comes from being a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. It's important Mm -hmm. for me to continue those traditions 
But do I think that Jonah survived in a big fish? No, I do not. You know, but do I think that there's things in the universe that we can't really explain? Yeah, I do. Way more than someone surviving in a big fish. Yeah, the messages that come to me <laughs> are, are just unbelievable. I mean, just just unbelievable. I, in 2009, I, um, I wound up meeting a, a fellow who was a Catholic priest, as a matter of fact, who was best friends with my dad's rabbi. And he helped me through uh, some very uh, a, a, a tough period in my life. And then he wound up uh, getting ill and I wound up taking care of him with uh, getting in line with several hundred people who said, you don't think you're going to take care of him. Get in line. We're all here to take care of him. He was like a, a magical guy. But um, at his funeral, his niece played on the guitar the song, My Sweet Lord, um, throughout the whole funeral. And a few months ago, I was sitting uh, on my couch and I was listening to my Pandora and My Sweet Lord came on. And I asked my wife, I said, look at that card and tell me the day that Father Frank passed away. And she said, oh, wow, it was today. Today's the anniversary. And I'm like, he was letting me know he was there. Pretty amazing. I, I got goosebumps when you just said that, like. I believe in that for sure. So if listeners want to get involved with Hour of Champions, how would they go about doing so? The easiest way would be to go to the Facebook group on Facebook. Um, uh, it's a free Facebook group and, and, and just join and, and jump in and, and um, see the interaction that's going on uh, with, with people from all over the world, actually. Um, and again, my focus is to, is to, really shift this. It's been um, like a feel good group, but I really want people to get more honest and serious about their setbacks. Um, I believe in strength and community. Um, we run online challenges frequently where, you know, we get 30, 40 people to um, show up in a group at five o'clock in the morning. And then we have a mental, physical, and spiritual component that we send you off on every day with. And then some training. Uh, most recently, we did uh, we did a challenge on decision making, because everything is everything is about decision making. Um, you can find me at hourofchampions.com, just like it's spelled out h o u r of champions.com, and uh, navigate through our website and private message me or um, con- you know connect with me if you're having setbacks and it's something that you want to work through. Um, I enjoy working with people. Thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, of course. I think it's such social media is a blessing and a curse, but the blessing comes from when you're able to connect with people from all over the world that are going through something or, you know, you see them cheering you on while you're trying to tackle or go after a goal. And it's sometimes, um, Facebook groups like yours really provide such an amazing sense of community for those who maybe in their real life can't be as authentic as they would like to be, but they can online with people that understand them or it gives them a space to feel heard and connected, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of my one of my pet peeves is when people 
are on there, but they, they say, I really want to share, but I'm a really private, private person. And I'm cool with that to a certain extent. But the, pro the problem with being a really private, private person is you could be being selfish to somebody on the other side of the world that needs, that was put there to connect with you. And something you have to say may change the whole trajectory of their life. Um, and sitting in your shell and being, telling yourself that you're private um, is, in my world, it's, it's a selfish way to live because, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, uh, I think, did you and I use the word beshert when we first met? Yeah. Yes. Meant to be, you know, and that's, that's a power, that's probably the most powerful word in my life is beshert, um, when something is meant to be. And there's a, there's a mystical way why, why people join this group and connect with others. And I've watched people that have never met in person become, you know, the people from Chicago being friends with the people from New York or California or Israel or um, the Ukraine or Japan. I mean, there's, I don't know how people have, how people have invited people and it's just grown and people have forged friendships and talk outside of my platform, which is really, that, that fills my soul. So um, I had a different podcast guest, uh, Christine DeCroll, who's a Peloton instructor. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted her to come on the podcast. One, just talk about her experience. But the first time I ever took her Peloton class, um, I grew up playing sports. I'm athletic, but I've always had very like thick legs that I've always felt very shameful about or embarrassed. And she, the first ride talked about how she, when she was younger, wanted to be a ballerina, but they would never put her in a short tutu because her legs were so big and big in a way like strength. She was one of the first female bike messengers in New York city. And her nickname was legs and how she started to look at her legs, not as a source of discomfort or, you know, shameful, but of strength of power. And I started the podcast episode telling her how that 30 minute class was exactly what I needed to hear. And at the end, um, we ended it talking about how words and the work matter. And you never know how your words can affect other people, even if you're uncomfortable being vulnerable or sharing a secret or sharing something, you don't know how much that could help someone that you've never even met before. So I do understand people wanting privacy, but I also think it's so important to realize that your story or what you've experienced could unlock someone's potential or unlock someone's comfort that you don't even realize. Yeah, when I first started, I I did a YouTube and I told my story and then I posted it on Facebook and I must I, I I don't know I must have gotten 500 comments and then emails from people that one guy in particular who grew up on my block and said he said when you when you did that and you were telling that story he said I thought you were talking about somebody else and then I realized it was you and he he said to me you were my hero growing up when we were little kids, you know, and he said, I can't believe that could happen to Steve Warner. And then he said, but you're only human. And I said, yep, that is correct. I'm only human. We're all only human, you know, so 
um, being vulnerable, transparent. Um, I, I just, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a gift to, because people need to hear that everybody has setbacks and how, you know, for me, mine was rough. I mean, it was really, it was a miserable, miserable, miserable 10 months. I, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Honestly, I really didn't. I second guessed myself a lot. Like, and then one day I woke up and I'll never forget. I was sitting at my kitchen counter and I had tears coming down my face and my wife looked at me and she said, what's the matter? And I said, I feel good. I don't even know how to feel good. You know, you described your summer last summer with the depression. I went through 10 months of feeling so bad and beaten up and, and headaches and nausea and, and um, being lethargic. And then it just ended and it was like over and I felt good. And I, I was like, wow, I did it. And now I could share it, you know, and tell people you can get to the other side of this if you do the work. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, Steve, I feel like we could talk for hours about so many different things. So please know you are always welcome to come back onto the podcast and um, any way we can help our champions. I'm happy to do so. I think your mission and what you're doing is just so important, especially given where we are in today's society and culture. Well, thank um, you. This, this alone is, this is a gift to me right now. Um, it's for sure. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I end every episode with the same three questions. The first question is, if you had a quote or mantra that you live by, what would it be? Um, well, my quote is, uh, when walking through hell, keep walking. That's a Winston Churchill quote. Um, and my mantra is, push the rock. Keep pushing the rock. Uh, that was taught to me by my spiritual hero, my friend, Andy. Um, whenever, whenever my light goes dim and I call her, she says, you just, you have to keep pushing the rock. So I live by that. That's a good metaphor. I like that one. Thank um, you. if you could relive any one day, which day would you pick? <laughs> it would be the day when I agreed to take the medication. If I knew then what I know now, I would have asked three questions and those would have been. How long am I going to be on this? Can I get addicted? And are there side effects? And if I could relive it and go back and ask those three questions, it might have saved might have saved a lot of pain, but it may, might have um, I might not have been here. Yes, everything weirdly enough happens for a reason, and yep. you definitely have found your reason, and it's been impactful to so many. Um, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you pick? Simply the Best by Tina Turner. All right. So I will go ahead and add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist that listeners can listen to on Spotify so they can hear your theme song along with all the other guests. That's awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been lovely and I really appreciate you coming on pleasure is all mine. I, I think what you're doing is fantastic also and getting um, more stories and more messages out there is um, with access. Anybody that doesn't take the time 
to listen to what you're doing is is yeah they're 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 missing out well thank you thank you and i'll be sharing it as well <laughs>